Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. Our lesson today comes from St. Paul, Paul's letter to the Colossians, and often we associate this letter with uh, the letter to the Ephesians as well, which he probably wrote about the same time, both of which, well, he wrote while he was in prison. At the beginning of the letter, it is introduced, the authors are introduced as not just St. Paul, but also St. Timothy. He says, from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother. Perhaps Timothy was the secretary who actually wrote the letter while Paul dictated. It's a beautiful letter. You can read it very shortly. I encourage you to go home and read it today. And then as Layla taught us, read it again. Read it a few times. There's some really high Christology in this epistle. In fact, some of the most advanced Christology in all of the New Testament is in this letter to the Colossians. It is this Christology, this theology of Christ, the God-man, and what all that means, that lies at the center of everything else Paul has to say to the Colossians. This is true of all of his letters, in fact. He writes practical stuff in here. He gives admonitions and warnings, instructions to families, all kinds of practical things, what to do, what not to do, how to live, But all of the instructions are very clearly tied and driven by what he has to say about who Jesus is and what it means that he became a man. The only thing that really matters for Paul, all this other stuff, is all about Christ. That's all that matters to Paul. That's all he sees. That's all he knows is Jesus Christ. He is obsessed with Christ. If you scan the letter, if you scan the whole letter, you're going to see a word's going to pop out at various intervals. Every so often, you're going to see the same word at the heading of a new section, and it's going to pop out to you. It's the word therefore. It pops up again and again in this letter. Therefore, and then another section. Therefore, another section. Therefore, therefore, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ. All of these therefores are reflecting on the practical ramifications of Paul's high Christology. Because of what I just told you, this really mystical, profound revelation about who Jesus Christ is, therefore, da-da-da-da-da, therefore. Now Paul tells the Colossians that he does not cease praying. He does not cease praying that God would fill them with, quote, the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why does he continually, unceasingly pray this prayer? 
he says, so that, so he tells us why he prays it, <laughs> so that you may live worthily of the Lord and please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good deed. The knowledge of Jesus Christ, this mystical knowledge of the dogma, of the great mystery of God in Christ, knowledge of dogma, knowledge of theologia, Christology, true, high, profound, mystical, divinely revealed theology, dictates how we live. That's what Paul is saying. And that's what he says again and again. It dictates how we live, the choices we make, what we decide to do, and what we decide not to do in the most practical terms. This, by the way, is an aside, um, is what structures our preaching. We, much of Christianity today has given way to some sort of self-help cookbook Christianity. You know, do these three things and you'll have a happy life. And that is not the way we preach around here. It is not the way the church preaches. We preach a high Christology, a theology that is profound and mystical and comes down from above. And then out of that, the ramifications for how we live are borne out in our life. This mystical knowledge of Christ is the center. This Christology for the Colossians is what he is saying, this is how you should live. This is how it should dictate your choices. And we need this message today. We need to preach theology. We need to preach Christology. After 2,000 years of hearing this mystical knowledge, it's become all too common and familiar to us. How far we have fallen. When on the day of the resurrection, today, the Lord's day, heaven meets earth on this day. Literally, heaven comes down and so many opt to sleep in and have a nice brunch and send their kids to the ball field. How can this be? in the Christian world, in the Christian culture. It's, it's unimaginable to me. I know, well, you may say you're preaching to the choir, because we don't do that around here, by the way. For all of our visitors, we don't do that around here. But I just like to bring this up from time to time, just in case anybody might be considering it. It's sort of a preemptive strike. Just to remind you, we don't play soccer on Sunday morning during Mass. Now, I'm not just preaching to the choir. There are other areas of our lives. We might not do that. But not all of us, myself included, we're not always putting the kingdom of God first. So the admonition applies at whatever strata we need to hear it. Paul begins his letter by claiming to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's saying, Jesus sent me to you. I come in the name of Christ. I come being sent by Jesus Christ, the God-man. He chose me, he gave me authority, and he sent me. Before being arrested by Jesus, Paul, or Saul as he was then known, was going around trying to destroy Christians, lock them up and murder them. Jesus comes along and rather violently knocks him off his horse and then blinds him. Think about that. <laughs> Sweet Jesus, meek and mild. Bam! <laughs> Knocks him to the ground. And then if that's not enough, he blinds him. Jesus 
blinded him. <laughs> he blinded him. And he says, Paul, stop doing that. <laughs> I don't want you to be killing my children anymore. I want you to stop. I have something else in mind for you. You're going to serve me. You're going to go around the world and preach the gospel. Oh, and you're going to suffer for it too. You're going to suffer greatly for it. And Paul said, yes, sir. Yes, Lord. And from that moment on, Paul became obsessed with Christ. Jesus became everything for Paul. Nothing else mattered. Nothing else existed but Christ. Christ and Him crucified. You know, and Paul, strangely enough, shockingly, expects the Christian community to feel the same way about Jesus as he does. He considers this kind of radicalism to be normative for those who have been made inheritors of the light. I'm not a monk. Somebody once said to me, you know, I have a life to live. It took everything in me not to haul off, you know, about, I have a life, you have a life to live. In Christ, you have a life that, what is that supposed to mean? No, you do not have another life to live. You have this life to live. That's it. We have been inheritors of a divine glory. What more is there? Paul does not expect us to receive this inheritance and then go on with life like nothing ever happened. Like in the days of Noah, when they went about buying and selling, marrying and giving in marriage. We have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We live for him now. There's a kingdom coming down out of heaven of which we are citizens. He says in this same passage, he's delivered us from the power of darkness. That's why he says, stop living like that. Stop living like you belong in that kingdom. You don't belong in that kingdom anymore. You've been delivered from that. You've been made citizens of the kingdom of the Son. And your loyalty lies in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, which is his body, the church. That's the message of Colossians. It's the message all of every Paul's, all of Paul's writings. First, we get high Christology, that mystical knowledge that changes the way we live because everything now is different for us. Everything. We don't exist by our own hand. We don't exist for our own self. We exist by him, in him, for him, and through him. He is all in all, and without him, everything falls apart and dissipates. There's only one thing that matters for Paul and for us, and that is Christ. But not just Christ in heaven. He's not an abstraction. Not just the Christ we cannot see or touch. The Jesus we live for and serve is both head and body. Head and body. Totus Christus, the whole Christ. And this is adamant in the theology of Paul. To live for Christ and to dwell in the kingdom means loyalty to the church. Righteous living in the church. And if you read the whole letter, which you might want to do this afternoon, if you read the whole letter from beginning to end a couple of times, there will be no confusion about this, that this is the message that he is communicating. If Jesus Christ is who we believe he is, and if he has done what we believe that he has done, the net result is the church. 
and its claims on our life. There's no other way to slice it. It's the message that's repeated again and again in every single passage. That he died for his church, for his body, his bride. That's why everything exists. When I say that Christ is everything, I mean the church is everything. Head and body. This is Christ. We are Christ. This is how our lesson begins this morning. Therefore, therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, dearly, holy and dearly loved, that is, we are the elect, specially chosen by God to be his people, his family, his body. And we've been made partakers of his divine holiness. He's the only one who's holy. When we're called holy, it's because we are partakers of God. And dearly loved by him. If that's really true, if we believe and know that to be true, then he goes on, this is how you must live. And he lays out the how. He talks about what we must stop doing. He talks about what we must start doing. In the passage immediately preceding today's, he talks about what we must stop doing. He says we must stop sinning in no uncertain terms. Stop sinning. Why? There's one reason for stopping sinning. Because it destroys the body. It brings factions and dissension to the body. That's why. So you have to stop with the immorality, the pride, the self-centeredness, the worldliness, greed, gossip, complaining, backbiting, all the, all the sins, all the various kinds of sins. They creep into the midst of the body and they bring dissension and fracture and disunity and lack of peace and chaos. We have to put an end to those things because they're corrosive. They destroy, he says, the bond of unity and peace in the church. That's why. In today's lesson, that's the section right before today. In today's, he goes on to the positive side. What we must do, and he says, be merciful. Which is actually the word there. It can be merciful, it can also be tender-hearted. Be tender-hearted. Towards one another. Be kind. Think about it. It's so much nicer to be tender-hearted and kind than it is to be ugly and mean. And you, even, you, even, you, know, you feel better being tender-hearted and kind. Why rancorous and bitter and nasty and ugly and mean to one another? Why not tender-hearted and kind and humble, he says. And gentle. Why not gentle? And patient. Now he recognizes that we're going to sin from time to time. He brings that up. He says when that happens, somebody does something, they're going to do it. We're all going to do it. He says respond with patience. Be patient with them. And forgive them. Just as Christ forgave you. And then he says all of these virtues, this kind of virtuous living in community with one another. It's all held together in love. The love of Christ, which is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He says, if you do this, you will fulfill the goal, the coming of Christ. And what is that? And he sums it all up by saying, you will have peace in your hearts. That's what he says. Peace in our hearts. That peace that Christ gave the disciples after his resurrection. You remember that when he passed through the door and he gave them his peace. A peace which the world cannot take away. 
And St. Paul says, you were called. You were called as one body for this very purpose, to arrive and abide in this state of peace. That's why. To be one body in a state of peace. And we must guard this peace at all costs. The fathers of the church and the mothers of the church, they, they teach us again and again how to guard this state of peace in our homes, husbands and wives. Guard this peace between yourselves. Guard this peace with your children. Guard this peace as we do the work of the kingdom together in this community. Who wants to disrupt this peace? The devil. That's who wants to. I mean, you don't want to be on the devil's side. <laughs> you don't want to be in league with the demons. Don't be a demon. Jesus called Peter a demon because he was trying to, you know, disrupt the plan of God. Let's not disrupt the peace of God and so be friends with the demons. Let's be friends of the Spirit and maintain peace. Peace among the faithful. Paul goes on in this passage and he says, we must let the peace of Christ rule and control our hearts because that's what we have been called to as one body, to maintain the unity of peace. Then he adds at the very end there, he says, oh, and by the way, be thankful. <laughs> Tax that on. Not because it's just an afterthought. It's really, really important. Be thankful. I tell you this all the time in your prayer life. Don't forget to spend a lot of time in your prayer life. You need to allot in your prayer rule, however much time you've got, you need to allot a significant portion of it to being thankful, to praising God and being thankful. And he repeats it again. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. And then he has that wonderful part about singing to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's the atmosphere. That's the culture that we want around here in this community. That we sing to one another. And then we have peace in our hearts towards God and towards one another in the love of God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.